Welcome to the crux of investing in finance, everybody. My name is Jay, and thank you for joining me. I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. It means a lot to me. If you haven't already, please follow our Instagram at Investonomics Education and our Facebook page at Investonomics. So please sit back, relax, and I hope you can learn something new. Before we dive in today, I just want to say that this is a primarily video-based show. So for to get the full experience, you should go to Investonomics YouTube channel, like and subscribe to the channel, and you can follow the video there for a nice visual representation of what I'm going to be talking about. Welcome back everybody to Investonomics YouTube channel, and this week we're continuing with part two of the short selling series. Continuing with our discussion from last week on short selling, and if you haven't seen it, be sure to check it out. It lays out all the foundations. Let's discuss what happens when a short seller requires shares that aren't directly available from the broker. We're also going to take a look at some examples later in this video, so stay tuned for that. So let's start by talking about securities lending. If a broker, which is the company that services trading accounts, does not have the shares available to satisfy the market short interest, as it's called. This may lead to desperate traders engaging in what's called naked short selling. Again, check out last week's video if you don't know exactly what this is. This means that traders and investors may actually fail to deliver the shares when they're covering their positions, and this could be a real issue in the market. To reduce naked short selling and to actually facilitate the demand in the market, investment management firms engage in what's called securities lending. Now what they do is they utilize shares of equities that they have on their balance sheets and are holding long term for investment and leverage the shares to produce extra income by lending them to short sellers. So again, they do this by lending shares to short sellers and that the ones that are willing and wishing to cover their positions, and they charge a small fee for doing so. Now, interestingly, individual retail investors and traders can also take part in securities lending, and this is very enticing for people holding shares. They do need to fully own the shares and not with margin, however. This actually allows them to create an additional amount of income through interest payments paid by the short sellers and mostly when the broker's share inventory is low and the short interest on the stock is high. And of course this means that we may not want to hold these shares because there's a lot of short interest. The broker will actually pay the fees to the retail trader or investor in order to provide the short seller with the appropriate amount of shares. So now we'll turn our focus to some terms that are related to short selling. And the first of these is days to cover or DTC. A common measure in finance and with regards to short selling more importantly, is the notion of DTC or days to cover. And you hear this quite often when people talk about short selling. The idea of this measure is to compare the total volume of an equity, which is the amount of shares traded in a day, to the total short interest in that same equity. And this is the amount of shares that are short. It is the current number of, of short sold shares divided by the average daily volume. And this is what that measure tries to capture. So as an example, 
If a stock has 20 million shares sold short currently, and the stock trades on average 1 million shares of volume per day, this means that 20 million shares sold short divided by 1 million shares per day, and that comes out to 20 days. So it'll take 20 days to cover all these short positions, all the short shares. This means that if all the shorts had to be covered all at once for one reason or another, with the current average volume of the stock, it would take 20 days to cover them all. Another term that's often mentioned, and we've already talked about a little bit, is short interest. So it's another frequently referenced measure for short selling, and it's called short interest. Essentially, what it means is it's a percentage of how much of all the available shares of inequity are sold short at any given moment in time. So as an example, if a company has 1 billion shares outstanding as the free float and 100 million are currently sold short, the short interest is then 100 million short shares that are sold short at that moment divided by the total amount of outstanding shares, which comes out in this case to be 10% of the available float is held as short positions. And this is that short interest. And for those of you that don't know, float is the total shares a stock has available. And it's similar to the notion of shares outstanding. The measure introduces becomes more complex and less precise if we incorporate naked sold shares. So again, see part one to see an overview of this concept. It's a little bit tricky to understand. Naked shorting introduces a failure to deliver, which is a notion and not locating the number of shares needed to cover the position. And this means that there is a failure to deliver those shares back to the broker. Since short interest captures all of the shares sold short, if shares aren't available, but short sales are still opened through naked short selling, it becomes clear that this distorts the measure quite notably. So to solidify some of these ideas, let's take a look at some examples regarding short selling and some of the things we've covered in the past two videos. So let's cover some of the topics and concepts that we've covered through examples. It's the easiest way to understand these kinds of things. So we'll start with a typical short sale and we'll take a look at how to approach the trade with your entry and why you have to flip exactly the way you think and how it's the opposite of a long position. So here I've drawn a quick little graph for you just with an arbitrary stock price moving up and down. So normally you'd have your stop loss below your entry but again with a short you have to have it above and your target is below your entry. And this makes sense because you want it to go downwards. And this is exactly the opposite. So short selling requires pretty careful thinking in terms of prices you input for stop losses and targets. And this is mainly because we want the price to go down and not up, which can be an odd thing to get used to, especially if you're doing this in a fast-paced environment such as day trading. So it's important to practice this. Always make sure to have a stop loss and enough capital to always make sure your position can be covered. Now let's take a look at how the American uptick rule was enforced back up until 2007. So again, here's a quick graph showing the stock price over time. 
And at first here, I show where you are not allowed to short sell. So when the stock is actually falling, you cannot actually short sell into this falling price. And this is illegal until 2007. Now the areas in green show areas where shorting into an uptick, which could be short squeezes as well, was actually permitted, but pretty risky for short sellers to short at this point. So you can see the price was moving upward. You didn't know if it was going to turn around or not. So when shorting into an uptick, it can be a great advantage for us because if these upticks are short squeezed, meaning that short sellers are panic covering their positions. So what this does is it actually floods the market with available shares because all those positions are covering and these can be used again to short the stock and high liquidity like this makes it easy to locate shares to initiate the short position. So that's the advantage for us, but it can also be a pretty large disadvantage as well, especially for newer investors and traders because an uptick may be the initiation of a trend reversal in which the stock actually moves higher and doesn't stop going higher. And this again can be dangerous. Losses accrue quickly and with no limit. So again, it's very important to start small when starting out and to always have your stop loss in place. But nowadays that doesn't really matter anyway because we don't have that rule anymore. Short selling can be very useful to hedge risk in a well-diversified portfolio as well. If we have a single short stock position, a very good hedge is to buy a long call option. And this is to simply hedge that short position if you want to hold a short position. And this is done on the same stock with the strike price right around the short sell price. So we'll take a look at an example here. So let's say we have a hundred shares of SPY at $300 per share. Now let's buy a long call option with the strike price of $300. So we short and the strike price is also the same here. The option costs $12 per share or $1,200 for the total option. Now if SPY falls to $280 per share, the short position makes $2,000 for that $20 difference and we need to pay for the worthless call option. So profits come out to be that difference between the cost of the option and the profit from the short sale, which is $800. But if the hedge is much better if the price rises, and this is the whole purpose of it. If it appreciates to $350 per share, the short position loses $5,000, which is that $50 difference, and the long call makes $5,000 plus its cost of 1200. So this is that $1,200 maximum loss so no matter how much the stock price appreciates, that's our maximum loss, which is great for hedging. And in case you want to limit your risk. Now we can also utilize short selling for actually hedging and strengthening our portfolio performance. And this is actually using that short position as the hedge itself. So if we have an assortment of various long positions in our portfolio, as is typical with any portfolio, and are expecting some sort of market correction in the near future, or observe it to already be in the beginning stages of doing so, a short stock position in a stock market index such as SPY or the QQQ, which is the S&P 500 index fund or the NASDAQ index fund, may be very useful to hedge this kind of risk. So this works because the gains of a fall in the market from the short position actually offset the losses in long positions. 
And this is at least partially, depending how large of the short position you decide to take. It can even be partial hedging or you can fully cover it as well. Many traders or investors may prefer instead to utilize a put option, which is essentially the same idea as shorting a stock but using an option, since they require much less capital for collateral and offer cheaper premiums for the investor. Overall, short selling may appear to be complex, especially if you don't fully understand how it works, and that was the case before you watched these videos. We hope after studying both of them on short selling carefully, you'll be able to confidently give short selling a chance. This may be in order to speculate on a market correction for various option strategies or to hedge positions in your portfolio, all of which we have discussed. And just remember that risk management is your friend and it should be your top priority at all times. So we'll see you guys next week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating on here. It means a lot to me. And make sure to write a little review, either what we can improve or what you liked. That helps us out a bunch. I'll see you guys next time.